I'm Jet Trouble. And I am Ren Cerebral. And this is A Secret Third Thing, where we discuss life beyond monogamy and polyamory. We're coming to you live from Ren's bed. <laughs> Disabled style. <laughs> <laughs> and today we want to talk about how the pandemic fucked us and how we can fuck it back. <laughs> How can we create spaces and containers to explore intimacy and our desires while a pandemic rages on? There's some real barriers there. Lack of masking, lack of uh, access to to masks and to tests, Mm -hmm. even for folks who do want to do that. But I think with intention and care, we can still create what we desire even though it might look a lot different than how things were before the pandemic of course yes definitely thank you for always (laughs) having such a a beautiful introduction i love i love your writing you're so sweet (laughs) Um, and speaking of your writing (laughs) to give some context part of what inspired The theme for this episode is recently Jet wrote uh, what is an essay or yeah we can call it an essay it was uh, basically a combination of ten different journal entries that I had written after events that I had helped organize and you helped organize threw it all together for this COVID zine you want me to share it (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. I do want you to share it. I'm, like, definitely just, like, adjusting to the 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 bad context of recording <laughs> I'm trying to like... you want to snug I mean we are snugging but <laughs> yeah definitely but but yeah well I, I do want you to read it I feel like it will be a good springboard for conversation mm-hmm. um, on, on these themes I found your piece like I felt like it stood out and maybe wasn't like what they were expecting you to (laughs) to write I can say that I some friends had requested that I submit to it because it didn't really talk about masking at all um yeah really focused solely on vaccination and there was nothing there was nothing about ventilating spaces nothing about uv light nothing about rapid COVID testing, Mm -hmm. um, none of the other tools that we have at our disposal, or even something as simple as, if you're not feeling good, kindly stay home. Vaccination is is not the only tool we have available to us, and solely relying on that is not centered in disability justice either, because there are people with legitimate reasons for why they cannot get vaccinated even though that has definitely been weaponized throughout the pandemic in in ways that are Mm -hmm. manipulative and untrue. There are always going to be people who cannot take the vaccine for being allergic to it. Many, many things. Who is publishing the zine is the LGBT Resource Center. I'm trying to give context for why your piece was significant in this zine because, you know, the funding is coming from places that influence the fact that the only approach they're willing to stand up for is vaccines as opposed to this multifaceted you know masking ventilation you know whatever because they're getting uh, I don't know where they're getting their funding exactly but it's very much rooted in the government CDC gaslighting messaging you know and I will say that they shortly before they asked for submissions for this zine celebrated dropping their mask mandates celebrated celebrated it had an indoor event cheersing to it with that being said my my writing was a response to that yes (laughs) and and i want you to read it and just to highlight this these avenues like you know the things that are juxtaposed with what you wrote this is where queer people are uh getting their information these are the dominant the dominant spaces for queer folks and so I think that this is an important 
theme about the pandemic to cover for us um, as disabled people and just really like for making things clear from the start of this podcast where we're coming from um, Mm -hmm. and like making sure that it's understood what values were grounded in mm-hmm. so anyways okay i will Thank stop for talking sharing. no no no. i appreciate um, that but yeah will you please re- mm-hmm. read your piece where did all the disabled and immunocompromised babes and their friends go we're rebelling against the death cult we will not give in to denial we refuse to forget our dead friends we help each other to rest and to stay home when we're sick or than usual, or when we've been exposed. We drop off groceries, medicine, homemade soup, and homegrown lavender. We remind each other to get evidence of a positive COVID test and to consider Paxlovid. We plug in HEPA and UV filters wherever we can. Despite the mask mandates dropping, even in hospitals and LGBT spaces who should know better. We mask up if and when we are able, especially a week before the trans and queer orgy. We STD, STI, PCR, and rapid tests before the party. We collectively provide N95s, rapid tests, condoms, dental dams, latex gloves, non-latex gloves, We reshare the link to free COVID tests, www.accesscovidtest.org, over and over, as well as pictures of tests rip open, showing the slight relief of a single line. It's not perfect, but it helps. Like ice on your chest during a POTS attack. It soothes the nervous system. More of us have POTS these days, The numbers have at least doubled since COVID, and there were millions of us before. We learn from the wisdom of those disabled since birth, and those who were already disabled by post-viral illness long before the latest plague. We learn how to pronounce dysautonomia, myalgic encephalomyelitis, post-exertional malaise. We make pacing plans. We teach each other that pushing past our limits and graded exercise therapy can make us worse. We share pedal steppers, mobility aids, our favorite electrolyte drinks, salt packets in our pockets for emergencies. We nap together. We reassure each other to cancel plans when we need to rest instead. We wear mini filters, hand sanitizer, and other self-defense tools on a carabiner on our belts. We carpool to appointments. We create spreadsheets, feedback forms, pod maps, and safety plans. We discuss safe words, the Relationship Anarchy Manifesto, the Relationship Anarchy Smorgasbord, care work. Do we need an interpreter? Do we need a ramp? Is there an accessible bathroom? How many stairs? How can we improve the lighting? Can we go fragrance free? Can we put the decompression room on the first floor? Anything else we need? Who's got the noise canceling headphones? We've already got the eye masks, earplugs, fuzzy blankets, zines a Bluetooth speaker, squishmallows, and art supplies. The first aid kit is in the kitchen. Safety scissors are next to the bondage tape. Ice packs are in the freezer. We've got gluten-free bread, vegan butter, and a crock pot full of butternut squash soup. Fruit, rice crackers, and cashew cheese. L's even made gluten-free and vegan pies. The Excel spreadsheet encouraged bottom-friendly foods, and the crew delivered. (laughs) There's sex swings, and sex stools, and sex pillows, and friends to remind you to take breaks and massages. 
but we struggle with capping the guest list. We get messy in conflict and friendship breakups. We fuck up and let each other down. We work to repair. We struggle with trauma and internalized bullshit. We cry and have panic attacks at the orgy. We get STIs. We get COVID despite centering disability justice and harm reduction. We make the hard phone calls. We talk shit to process our feelings and then try to act according to our values. We make mistakes and our friends hold us accountable for them. We scream our rage into pillows. We are forever waitlisted. Years and decades of medical neglect only worsened by staff and supply shortages. We witness how the world can go virtual when it's for abled people. We are not surprised when it disappears again. Even free drive-through tests and medicine. We are assaulted and jeered at for masking while ex-friends fly to Hawaii and become anti-vaxxers. We sob on the phone together and alone in the bathroom. We grieve the funerals we can't attend. We dance and sing in backyards. No one is coming to save us, but we are building networks of care to hold you when you join us. Our future is disabled whether you believe it or not. I wish everyone could see your face right now. <laughs> I've heard it before. I've read it before. And yet... <laughs> I do want to say I was struggling with a deadline for this piece. And if I could elaborate more, I would want to say what accountability means to me because... So many people have different interpretations mm. of what that means. Mm -hmm. To me, accountability is only possible via my friends. Um, mm -hmm. And by that, I mean people who can call me in and say, like, for instance, one of my friends told me recently that I was more prickly mm. with one of my friends than I tend to be with any of my friends in my life. And that it was clear that I was a bit wounded. What a read. Yeah, and, but I really needed to hear it because I couldn't really put into words how I was feeling and being so seen by them in that way helped me to process it and realize, oh yeah, I was being prickly. Mm -hmm. I, need, I need to address that and figure out why I'm treating one of my friends differently than I would anybody else. Like that, that is a wound that needs addressing mm -hmm. that I need to address, not, not somebody else. That's what I mean by accountability is friends calling you in and in a way that's not not gonna cancel me for fucking <laughs> up you know but they're gonna be like hey you're fucked up here yeah. let's talk about it i think using a specific definition and contextualizing accountability is important because accountability is going to mean different things in different contexts mm -hmm. and so but i think that that is like a, a good like focus of something that can be relevant yeah, in the context of, like, the pandemic, it's very helpful to have friends who, like, can see you and can, like, be like, hey, like, you know, I know that these are your values mm -hmm. and, like, I'm noticing that what you're doing or how you're acting isn't really, like, totally lined up. And that's very different than, like, uh, some people, when they hear the word accountability, they shrivel up mm -hmm. because... They think it's like a process. Um, yeah, and that you have and to be like in front of a board of like yeah. of, of people who are going to tell you how bad you are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but it's like very different when it's when it's rooted in relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then it helps us to actually transform, which mm -hmm. should be the goal, right? <laughs> Knowing that. My friends will call me in has made me much more receptive to receiving it. Yes. As well as giving it. And it mm -hmm. really helps me to build trust. If people can't say no, what's the value of a yes, right? It's mm -hmm. very, very similar. 
that hits. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard to uh, build that skill of discernment. I yeah. also um, wanted to reflect on creating sex-neutral spaces during a pandemic. I feel like my writing touched on it, mm-hmm. but I wanted to highlight some of the tools that we've used, which is creating a, a group chat with the guest list so that folks can discuss and collaborate at least a month prior to the event, ideally two months, asking folks at least a week before the event to mask up Mm -hmm. in public, to encourage PCR testing when possible, although that's much more difficult now because most of it's not free, and at the very least a COVID test, a rapid COVID test the day of, Mm -hmm. which we, you know, along with masks, like work collectively to provide. Yes, staying home when we encourage everyone to stay home when sick. Oh okay. yeah, and then HEPA filters. Um, yeah, and yes. Ventilation. So I'm thinking about like, I'm mm. trying to think of like who's listening to this mm. and like how what we're sharing is going to land. And I think this is going to be an ongoing process of us like figuring out like who we're talking to mm-hmm. because I feel like for for you and I like we've built like a culture, um, not just between us, but like with a community where like we kind of we like know what we're talking about Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if like everyone listening is going to what I liked in your essay is that you the way you wrote it was like I don't know if it would be like considered prefigurative if that's the right way to say it you are describing your reality the way that you wrote the piece is you took for granted and you're like this is what we do and it is laying out like a guide Mm -hmm. for people but I think that like a lot of people who are going to listen to um, our podcast are not even anywhere near the place where they're even thinking about going to an orgy yeah Um, it's not a hierarchy of like oh like this is the the destination because some people never want to go to an orgy (laughs) Yeah, and that's fine. But in the first, you know, in the first episode, we did focus on that. Oh, it's not all about sex. But a lot of the things that like, we focus on in what I consider like organizing is is about sex. I I like that your piece. It really went into that, like, and mm. and took it for granted, and also didn't only focus on that. I also think it's important to say, like, I'm an immunocompromised person have been long before the pandemic have had post-viral illness long before the pandemic and I remember our very early phone conversations when the pandemic was just taking off yeah and one of the things I said to you was I wonder how many people are going to be disabled by this like like I've been after post-viral illness and to watch in real time so many of my friends even even just people who are in my area, let alone like internet friends and people who are further away, become sick just like me with the same disabilities or very similar is so surreal. And I realized very quickly that no one was going to create space for us, especially like seeing masking become not the norm anymore. And so it was really important to me to carve out space for us. And to try and, wherever I can, make spaces where queer, trans, disabled people can connect. And not just in sexual ways, and I know I refer to it as an orgy, but I really think the spaces I've been creating, it's very important (laughs) to me that my asexual friends and people who are just not, not super interested in sex or who are more interested in other mm-hmm. ways of experiencing intimacy, that that is available too. In a way, it's also a spiritual and intellectual orgy. Not it is. <laughs> so but it is. It doesn't all have to be the physical. Right. Um, like there's <laughs> there's zines everywhere. There's so much you good food. You always have the literature. There's that. Oh, I have. I keep the propaganda on me. I have to, and. Yeah, massages. Like at one event, one of my friends, well, this was a costume event. I was dressed as the Pope, naturally. And my friend was my altar boy and held the BDSM wax candles for me. 
<laughs> and were my emotional support and reminding me to take rest and offering to feed me grapes. Mm-hmm. And we've had people hold hands while they're both getting fucked by separate fuck machines. <laughs> That's some of the cutest shit ever. Yeah, everything. I'm always <laughs> saying everything is so cute, even when it's like CBT. And like, and not some... the therapy kind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask a question to ground us because so a lot of what we're talking about is more in the realm of like us fucking the pandemic back. Yes. But I think I want to go back. I want to mm. go back to the, the part about how the pandemic fucked us. It fucked um, us real bad. Because I think I'm thinking about about how we're kind of taking for granted like because of what we have kind of created in our own lives that these things are like possible and I do believe that it's helpful to talk about like the the projects we're doing in order to like help other people imagine what's possible um and then to you know to inspire them to think about what they might want that's like outside of the confines of what they're told that they're allowed to want but like because we're talking about the pandemic i want to like maybe draw a map to how we got here in the last episode we were talking about the map that was more of like long term in the sense of like our journeys from when we started to be non-monogamous mm-hmm. to now but i really want to focus on just like the time in the pandemic i want to kind of start answering it if that's okay yeah first i guess i have this fear that like talking openly about this i'm worried about alienating other disabled people who have been a lot more isolated mm. than we have been yeah and i want to make sure you yeah, had to hold space for like all of the different ways that people are choosing to process their own decisions in the pandemic and i don't know if it'll be made clear but i guess i want to try to make clear the things that we all have in common the way that we are talking about these co-created spaces or containers that we're trying to uplift some people might hear and write it off as impossible Mm -hmm. because of the the rules that that they've constructed for themselves of how to manage the pandemic and i guess you you did highlight a lot of the care that is taken but you're right i i breezed over the other part of it which is although i'm we have these like dreams that we've been building right there's so much isolation as well Mm -hmm. because even like Mm-hmm. In the winter, the amount of social interaction I have is so much more limited. And for me, I'm like, oh, I know that I need to be more social in the summer because especially before we had vaccines, I wasn't social at all other than, you know, a handful of people in my backyard well, distanced. I, yeah. You know. And I, I want to just say yeah. that we did not see each other i believe for a whole year yeah like not and i'm talking it was so not not even in the backyard yeah and then when we did start to see each other um we were so nervous it was like sitting really far apart Mm -hmm. and like wanting to be close so badly and then just freaking the fuck out yeah and we both had many panic attacks like i remember when we first started seeing each other again there was one day where you were freaking out, and then I was freaking out, and then you were free- we were like flip flopping with it because it was just so. I, and I can't even remember. I vividly remember you coming over to my backyard, and me just like heaving over with a panic attack because I wanted so badly to be so close to you, and it felt so scary. I was so scared of hurting you, of getting mm-hmm. you sick, and then you were scared of getting me sick, and also- it was just this loop. Also, we had a conflict. Which we did. I, I don't... I'd, if yeah. you want to talk about it, I'd love to. Yeah, I mean, well, I think I'm hesitant only because I don't have clarity on, on all of it, but I, I, I guess just to touch on what I think was happening behind the scenes is like the distance. My brain, my body-mind was trying to protect itself yes. because of the lack of possibility for connection. Like, I really felt like you know, I well, I was so sad, yeah. you know, to not be able to be in contact, and I feel like it was like a self-protective 
measure just to kind of write it off. Just come up with all these narratives that were simply rooted in fear and, you know, just being activated. And we worked through it, and I, I truly believe without that conflict, we wouldn't be where we are today, even yeah. though beforehand we still had a very magnetic connection, but mm -hmm. it still was like, I feel like we had a lot of barriers up that were really broken down yeah. th through that central conflict. Absolutely, and I think that especially where I, I was so I was so ill on top of it as well, and I think one of the big parts of it was I was hoping you'd be able to come stay with me for a while when I oh. had when I had no one else in the house. Yes. Oh my god, um, I forgot. That's that's where it started, and I was like, oh, we can spend time together. It'll be just us. We'll both be isolated before this time, and mm -hmm. we can you know share space and kiss and whatever one of the big things for you was you you'd be away from your, the support system that you really needed at the time too so there's just like a lot of things going on where we were both just so afraid and really wanting to be close and not being able to access it as well as i know just like i was afraid of getting you sick you were so afraid of getting me sick where mm -hmm. it's you know it was already this baseline where most people felt that way but so highlighted for us because my mortality was staring us in the fucking face mm -hmm. at the time. Still. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least for me, I do feel a lot less activated. Mm -hmm. I think only because I, well, to a degree, have accepted the nature of life at this point. But yeah. like, but some people might say that in their conclusion is, oh, I've accepted it and therefore I'm not going to take any any measures of like Community risk sharing. risk mitigation yeah. and for me i believe i'm very lucky and i think we probably well we both are in the sense that like even though we are in community with people of all a range of how they um handle the the pandemic or or just illness mitigation in general mm -hmm. um I mean, I, I know for me, like, my most intimate connections and people I prioritize time with, unmasked and whatever, um, are people who are totally chill with, like, taking a test mm -hmm. before hanging out, like a COVID, a rapid COVID test. Who will communicate and, when they're sick as well. And, and, and honestly, that's the biggest shift for me because people, I remember, yeah, like, I had written a post right before the pandemic that yeah. was inspired by having met you i had went somewhere <laughs> before the pandemic and someone was very very sick and at an event and i was just like frozen yeah i couldn't believe it and they were just like oh yeah stay away from me I'm yeah just, but and i was just like what the fuck no, that, that's how everybody like, everybody just, acted that way and they're like oh it's just a cold and i'm like that could fucking kill me yeah, and people, they didn't know. <laughs> yeah. But no, but it's it's fucked up. But but people didn't know. And I remember because you were so sick when we met that, like, you had, like, you had hand sanitizer on your door handle. And this is all pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. you, you wore ma masks. You yeah. wore masks in public. And people harassed you for that at that time. True. But then I remember that, like, I, so I, I got on a soapbox. Um, <laughs> I appreciated and, it. But, like, I was also out of my own frustration and you know if you're listening love y'all but um my <laughs> live-in partner and and their partner were in nre and and they they were sick and there was a way for me to have been prevented to get a cold and it was simply a cold but i knew that the cold would mean i couldn't see jet and so <laughs> i was like please can you stop kissing for like just like a day or two and they wouldn't do it and so then well then that meant that i then couldn't kiss jet and so honestly yeah i mean it was four years ago i might still, still, <laughs> still not over it personally <laughs> but like that was how ingrained of like oh well like you know it's a cold and and just like the the general lack of like um you know because i guess like there's that trust in me where i knew that then i wouldn't expose myself to you so they weren't putting you at risk in that right, way but right, right. it's still but it was a barrier now it's like there's more more awareness around these things and people at are, least in our circles yeah yeah, yeah. i wanted just to focus on yeah so that was this we talked about the start of the pandemic what you had said before about how important it is for you to carve out space for like 
trans, queer, disabled Mm -hmm. people talking about how isolated we were in the start of the pandemic Mm -hmm. and like you said like still are a lot of the time because everything is in flux i live with other vulnerable people it's always like uh yeah like oh there's illness in my house Mm -hmm. so that means we're not going to see each other for two weeks and it's just like always like this toss-up things aren't all fixed and i guess i just wanted to highlight that word i think that like because we are so excited about these hot things that we're (laughs) trying to like uplift to outsiders it can sound like oh well that sounds nice but like it's it's so unobtainable and also it can sound like it's like our whole life and it's not um yeah that's very even though it is something that's on my brain a lot of the time yeah and Um. for me it's (laughs) like it's usually the thing that i have that I'm looking most forward to other than like spending one-on-one time with friends right Mm -hmm. but I also wanted to touch on the fact that I was housebound for years before the pandemic and so this the strange experience of like witnessing everyone get the tiniest taste of what that was like and then immediately go fuck that is so interesting to me although i understand it because yeah i mean it's awful <laughs> it's awful right and i don't wish it upon anybody but yeah. also i think people don't realize what that feels like for immunocompromised and disabled people to be so left behind i have been in support groups for people with me at the beginning of the pandemic there were lots of lots of folks who were like maybe my friends and family will understand Mm-hmm. for the first time ever what what it's like even just a small taste of it because even if you were quote-unquote trapped in your house right you still had a home um mm. i'm speaking generally obviously and mm-hmm. you were still able to maneuver and move around the space mm-hmm. without assistance where mm-hmm. a lot of us since the pandemic hit have not been able to get the care that we need whether it's care workers coming in to assist us or family members or friends a lot of that has become a risk in in and of itself i just want to highlight that isolation because i think if if there are abled people out there listening i think that's definitely something to think about and i've been really grateful for the friends who offer to drop off my groceries who offer to go into spaces that are really inaccessible for me now like I'm mm-hmm. going into the grocery store is terrifying to to this day, even more so now than it was initially. And I think that's something that people mm-hmm. kind of take for granted, where it's like, oh, well, no one's masking anymore, so what's the point? Mm-hmm. I don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah, and I and I do want to highlight too, like the difference in our disabled experiences. Me, Ren, I am not uh, immunocompromised but I have lung disease and things that make me high risk for other reasons. Whereas, yeah, you're immunocompromised and you, you listed other, a lot of stuff that you yeah. experience. But I guess I just wanted to highlight that just to name the, yeah, I, was, the I was thinking about recently too, how we went to that dance party and it was so lovely to see everybody masked inside. Mm-hmm. I I can't remember the last time I've I've really seen that many people masked, and the thing was everyone was dancing, everyone was getting down, and they were still masked. And you have your disability that things that make it difficult to, you know, be dancing inside with a mask on, and me with pots, it's really difficult for me too. And we're both like, oh, this is really hard, but it's so worth it like we're mm. still boogieing getting down mm-hmm. and then stepping outside to catch our breath and then coming back in and, and dancing again mm-hmm. and all that to say yeah wearing a mask and dancing fucking sucks like it's mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing but it's so worth it and i miss being able to dance mm. freely like that i wish i wish it was more the norm even though i i get it's uh Mm-hmm. Not as aesthetic, maybe. I I wish that people who had better lungs would wear Kick care masks. The yeah. Because I, especially with this poor air quality, I mean, I'm struggling. If I'm dancing, it's literally like either stay isolated entirely or do a thing that's like risky. And it, but it's like it doesn't have to be as risky 
if everybody carried a piece of the burden. Yeah. And so... And did what they could. But, yeah. So the question I think I want to ask is, how has the pandemic impacted your desires? Mm. Um, and so, I guess, yeah, I'm thinking about how, even though yeah, all this stuff was... It was just like a lot of information about our experiences and it honestly doesn't even begin to cover it. I think that's like what's in my mind right now where it's like I almost feel frustrated with like how hard it is to capture the yeah. experience of the pandemic and it, so it's like I don't even know if what we're sharing is like chaotic as much as it just feels incomplete and like I don't think it needs to be complete. I'm hoping that whatever we're sharing is like translating to the people that I want to listen to this podcast in a way that doesn't make people like shut it off so much of what we're talking about there's so much grief and like Mm. you've also brought up so many things that like I forgot about and so so I think I'm like I'm like actively processing as we're talking and so it's kind of just like it's just interesting so it's i think we're really highlighting well how the pandemic has fucked us all i mean yes exactly and that was right that back, was the goal right so back you know to what? the to the theme <laughs> but yeah so okay so back to yeah to the question mm-hmm. about yeah how has the pandemic impacted your desires i've discovered that i now only want to fuck my friends and there's some there's some outliers to that, you know. <laughs> Your enemies? <laughs> nah, I'm over that. Okay, um, good. I I'd rather fuck my friends. Not that I have many enemies, but well, that I know of. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like before the pandemic, I had more of an interest in cruising. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, which isn't to say that like, obviously cruising is not bad. Do your thing, baby. But for me, especially as an immunocompromised person, my nervous system just cannot. And with having POTS as well, it's essentially an autoimmune disease that impacts your entire nervous system and your blood vessels. So when I get triggered, it's not just my PTSD. It is this extremely physical, full body response that can sometimes put me on my ass for months on end. And something else I wanted to highlight mm-hmm. is even with helping to to organize events to try to carve out this accessible space, one of the events I hosted earlier on helped to, to host, I should say. I ended up crashing from that event for over two months. And it took my friends saying, Jet, that's not accessible. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit. I can't, I can't, this is not centering disability justice. I'm crashing for two months. Like, just because I took care Mm -hmm. of everybody else, I'm not taking care of myself. That really highlighted to me that I can't continue on that path of of fucking people that I I don't have friendship and trust with Mm -hmm. because I need the accountability. I need friends to help me to rest. And thanks to that feedback, I did a two-day event which sounds like it would have been way worse, right? <laughs> I did not crash at all. I had friends offering me, you know, electrolytes, breaks, mm-hmm. assistance. I did most of all the topping that I did, which was a lot. Sitting down, I <laughs> sat and ate pie and watched friends fuck when mm-hmm. normally I would have been like, I'm going to get in there. I needed a break, you know? And, and it's, yeah, fucking my friends has allowed me to realize when I need to rest more, what I actually desire, and to really address my chronic people-pleasing. So I think the 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 pandemic really highlighted all of that for me, where I didn't realize how much I was pushing myself past my limits, mm-hmm. because a lot of the people that I was fucking were not my friends. And now I'm much more able to uh, rediscover what my desires are, because not only have they changed with me discovering that I'm trans, discovering that I'm disabled, but yeah, clearly the pandemic as well. So it's been really interesting to rediscover and uh, yeah, explore, explore strange new lands. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I could answer the question. How has the pandemic 
impacted my desires. As I am listening to your response, I'm just being reminded we're coming from such different places. <laughs> and I say that like as an observation. Mm-hmm. But it kind of excites me because I'm like I feel like we can speak to different people, you know? Mm-hmm. For me, how the pandemic has impacted my desires. I'm somebody who has not I haven't had a lot of interpersonal sexual experiences. Before the pandemic, I had a lot of well, I was in a monogamous configuration which I mentioned before and then there's really not a lot to tell I just like I've had a clear sense of what I wanted I think Mm. or maybe not I shouldn't say clear but a a clearer sense of what I wanted than I have had the ability to act on these things and I, I guess I'm I'm highlighting that because I attended a workshop just yesterday about embodied desire and it was so interesting because a lot of the people who were attending were people who they were struggling in different ways than me and I guess I went there with a specific thought in mind and I learned uh, even though I didn't get what I wanted necessarily out of the workshop it was still valuable and I learned something about myself which is that I am different from many queer people in that I don't struggle as much with imagining what I want, although that is still something I struggle with, but that I struggle more to make that happen. And that also Mm -hmm. might sound funny to people who know me, because um, a lot of people identify me as someone who is very much goes after what I want. The way the pandemic has impacted my desires is it just is is reinforced the roadblocks that I've already experienced. Mm. I was on the cusp of something great, I feel like, in 2019 into 2020. I was figuring my shit out. I was just ready. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I was really ready to, like, take on things that I wanted, and um, I still found avenues to explore desire. I'm talking a lot like sexually or like physically because I've, I've had a lot of abundant emotional relationships. Like I've had an abundance of that in my life. <laughs> but like for me, the thing that when I think about desire is like a lot of the things that are not met is like related to physical, sensual, sexual uh, nature. And so the pandemic really reinforced the things that were blockages for me. And so in a way, you know, it was like a barrier. But at this point in time, I really feel like similar to a lot of like big events that are can be like grief inducing, the pandemic has made me feel truly committed to yeah, like you're talking about, like these spaces that we're trying to carve out. Trans and queer spaces are sacred. I would like die for gay sex. <laughs> Make me a martyr and, for queer sex. But baby. it's so. But the thing about it is, that's not based on a specific desire. I'm not like, oh, I want to like have sex and then die. It's a cause <laughs> worth fighting for because our society is so anti-sex. In the pandemic, I, I've been, I still feel like there's a lot I want to learn, you know, in regards to, like, queer history with pandemics. I mean, the AIDS crisis, there's so much to be said that I, I'm not gonna, you know, be able to even give anything justice. But just to say that we still feel lasting impacts, because AIDS is still a thing. But, like, that really set a foundation, or it wasn't the only foundation, but a lot of groundwork for the repression that yes. we feel today. We lost so many elders who mm-hmm. could have shown us other mm-hmm. ways of being. Just queer sex in general, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Growing up, there was, even in our generation, there was hardly any rep- like quality representation of that. We were talking about this on the drive here, too, where we need to create the queer futures we want, even as the air quality is disastrous all around us 
you know, it was so hazy and foggy on the way up. And Yeah, the AQI here today is in 250s, <sighs> which is, like, just, like, really bad. That's not great. But we were still dancing in the car with the windows up, excited about talking to y'all and about the futures we're creating still, despite it mm-hmm. all. Um, because that's, mm-hmm. that is our resistance. It all correlates to my answer, which is life is so fleeting <laughs> and I want to make the most of our time here together, yeah. but I, I don't want that to be a contradiction to caring. Some people are like, oh, live life to the fullest and therefore F everyone else. And they they don't take any measures of care. And so I think that like, for me, I'm just, yeah. To, it's more to, like, fuck it. I'm going to give a shit. Fuck the game of who cares less. I, I hate that shit. I could get COVID from the fucking hospital or from my doctor's office and die. I would much rather tell all the people in my life how I feel about them, ask for what I want, be brave and make my desires come true, help other people make their desires come Mm -hmm. true, get real in conflict. And speaking of making desires come true, we got a question. We can can talk forever. I know. So yeah, we're going to wrap this episode up by focusing on some questions we received on our Instagram, which just want to plug as you're listening, anything that comes up for you, take note of it, send us a DM. Our anonymous inbox is in our stories highlights. So anyways, okay, Jet, read it. What what did <laughs> what what question did we get? Uh well the question I'll sum it up as how can you get gang banged without feeling selfish? <laughs> and I want to respond to that first with a question. How does it feel to be selfish? As somebody who fucking loves attention and for the majority of my life was always shamed for it. You know how, like, in the early 2000s, people were always like, Jet, you're such an attention whore. Also, Jet's a Gemini. (laughs) If y'all haven't figured that out yet. But there is nothing wrong with deeply needing to be the center of attention and wanting lots of it. And there will be people who will fucking love to give that to you Mm -hmm. and will celebrate you for that. So do not diminish this desire for fear of being selfish. Be selfish. Get what you want. Mm. You deserve it. I'm giving mm-hmm. you permission. Yeah, send me a DM. I'll organize the gangbang for you. Oh my gosh. You need to take care of yourself. I am. You gotta stop signing up for these things. You know what? My September might be free. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my. So far, so far. No promises. We're gonna have to conference on this later. <laughs> um, <but laughs> I want to offer just something that's popping in my mind, which is it can be intimidating to even think about that. I mean, I, I mean, for me, I'm just like, putting myself in the person's shoes and thinking about your question. How does it feel to be selfish? It makes me very stressed. I mean, I did not ask this question, but just if I did, that's yeah. my response. But I, it's I, scary I think too, that like to be vulnerable to put, yeah, to put such an ask out, you know, the affirmation, it, it is important that you're giving that because there is always a possibility of rejection Mm -hmm. and I think that's what's at the root of most people's fears obviously right like when they're like afraid to ask for what they want they're afraid to be rejected and I think I guess I'll share for me something I'm trying to tell myself and I'm not saying I'm living it yet I'm just trying to tell this to myself (laughs) so I'll share with you which is that yeah you are worth it to express yourself and somebody else's rejection it doesn't define you if somebody does judge you for what you share or rejects you it doesn't mean that you're wrong for wanting that attention but i will say though people are down for a lot more than you might think and honestly that's been a lesson of recent months as i continue to put myself out there baby steps i'm learning this 
and I hope I continue to actually somatically ground myself in this fact. I'm still working on it. The other question was expressing curiosity around why we don't love the term relationship anarchy. I don't think that we said that um, in the first episode, but I think that we were focusing on how we strategically will use that or not. Relationship anarchy as a term, on the one hand, it's loaded, so it evokes strong reactions from some people. Once you say that term, they don't even want to hear what you have to say, or they identify you as a threat of some kind. So it's like not constructive to relationship building in that way. And then on the other hand, it's become really diluted. So then like random people, even like married people who very much do subscribe to like hierarchy will be like oh i'm a relationship anarchist it's not grounded in in what it is like Mm -hmm. you know and so like i guess we have what we were talking about when you just like talk about the ideas it's a lot easier to to find common ground with people like if in i think we alluded to that in the other episode if you identify the tenets and you talk about that, it's easier to to relate with each other. And just to once again ground us in the intention of this podcast, I think that not using that term in the title, Relationship Anarchy, is a deliberate choice and not to steer away from the framework, but really to try to invite people in in a way that is going to make them want to listen. (laughs) Yeah. Or be to be able to engage in curiosity because really like if we're interested in trying to like help abundant love proliferate, it's not actually constructive to just say like oh well like I'm a relationship anarchist or I'm this or I'm that and just like hammer down on that even when you can like see that people are like shriveling up and I think that like some people aren't ever going to be ready regardless of what you call something but I really just feel like there's so many people in a window of possibility to listen um, or to like engage with these radical relationship ideas and I think it might be easier to engage with it when it doesn't have that on the front page we're still going to act according to our values right and sometimes depending on who you're talking to there's a way to meet people where they're at where you can see the path that they're going on and you know that they're, maybe they're not quite ready to talk about things in in such a strict way mm-hmm. um where like you said yeah sometimes just reading the relationship anarchy tenants without um, being like, this is relationship anarchy, this is what it's defined as, mm-hmm. um, people are more receptive to it. So, yeah, I think it's about knowing how to reach people, knowing how to build trust and communication without I, without rigid labels, which is funny because that's essentially what relationship anarchy is. Yeah, and also it, it goes back to the, the trauma-informed. Yes. Um, which, honestly, I just, like, I wish that there wasn't trauma around it but there just is yeah what we're doing is an effort to be responsive to where people are at to try to to like find attunement (laughs) yeah Yeah. and and that's been the goal of this podcast too so Mm -hmm. thank you everyone for listening i think we're getting quite sleepy send us your questions your desires your secrets we want to know it all thank you good night sleep well